everyone, and welcome to this episode of My Great Aunt Edna, the leadership show that focuses on excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts, and accountability. I'm your host, Mac McNeil, and today our guest is Dr. David Glover. And Dr. Glover is the founding visionary of Ennoblement LLC, a consulting company for executive coaching and organizational development. He is also the creator of the initiative I Like Me and Spiritual Fine Arts. David's 20-year career background spans nonprofit, religious, and corporate organizations, and has also been a feature international presenter and speaker. He's the author of an award-winning book, Building and Maintaining Organizations. And with that, I want to introduce everyone to Dr. Glover. Dr. Glover, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so very much. I'm so honored to be here to make it onto the show. So I'm looking forward to this opportunity to share and to be enlightened at the same time. Outstanding. And thank you. So I want to jump right into it. So introduce everyone beyond what I just said in the bio. Tell us a little bit about who you are, how you've come to be to the point you are in your career. Okay, we, I'll give you cliff notes because that's the only way we'll make it. <laughs> but um, a native of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, born and raised there, um, moved to Atlanta, Georgia in 2009. Uh, came here um, under duress, uh, but it was the best thing that I needed to help my trajectory. Sometimes life helps you uh govern what you need more than you think you need it right so i didn't really know how much change was needed for my blossoming for me to come into who i am until mm -hmm. i came kicking and screaming um to atlanta <laughs> and you would think coming from milwaukee who wants to really you know that change should have been apparent but it wasn't i wanted new york so um but being here i've been able to matriculate through um, you know, education uh, to my master's and doctorate degree, as well as, you know, starting my own business. And, you know, what I'm most excited about is even being here connected me with doors of um, doing business in South Africa, you know, in mm -hmm. Johannesburg, Botswana and Cape Town. And so, you know, I'm excited about what things are coming, but it's, you know, that that's kind of a short introduction of where I am right now beyond what you've already given them. You know, thank you for that elaboration. And we talked a little bit about, you know, that Midwest kind of mindset. You know, I'm right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, so it was all new to me. And then it's a big transition going from the Midwest to the Southeast. So talk to me a little bit about that transition and then, you know, keep it around the lens of leadership. Like what were the differences you noticed between the Midwest and Atlanta, Georgia? Sure. Um, I think that's a great question. And it's probably one that's not as often thought about um, when we even when we talk about leadership in courses and education and all of those things, we kind of put U.S. into Western civilization leadership mm -hmm. versus other countries. But even, you know, the sub uh, categories and regions in, you know, United States, what I noticed um, was that, you know, from from Milwaukee, at least leadership was very upfront about their microaggressions Ooh. or their um, stereotypes or their, you know, it was very, you knew what you were up against from the jump. Like when you walked in, they, Ooh. without having an HR case, told you what they believed <laughs> your parameters yeah. were. Versus when I came down here, I had to adjust to the fact that um, it was 
implicit. Like if you didn't know, you was going to know until it it was too late. You know, mm -hmm. like why why your trajectory was limited um, because it didn't matter how many dinners you had with the big boss, you weren't part of that, you know, that clique or you didn't look the yes. part or you didn't talk, walk the walk. And so it became a, a learned pattern, something that you had to kind of just lean on others to kind of know how to flow, how to play the game, you mm -hmm. know? So I think one thing that I, I think I found the most alarming was the, the hidden and uh, truths of, of organizations and cultures. Okay. No, that's a good take on it. And actually, I find that interesting because moving here actually heard the inverse, you know, about in Minnesota anyway, you know, there's a term called Minnesota nice. And, you know, everybody in Minnesota is nice, but it's a fake nice. You know, it's a lot of that, um, you know, you talked about the microaggressions. It's a lot of that passive aggressive style where they really don't tell you. So I find that interesting that your take is, you know, going to the southeast. But being from the southeast, I do understand what you're talking about, like with the, you know, you're not in that group. You know, you're not in that good old boy network or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I can definitely relate to that. Um, I want to change the subject a little bit and talk about your I Like Me initiative because, you know, the 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 title just stands out because so many people don't like themselves. And, you know, we experience that a lot. You know, corporate America, personal life, you can see it on social media. Um, so tell me a little bit about I Like Me and then how did that come to be? So I Like Me is an initiative um, originally developed for um, young adults um, and children to deal with childhood trauma for okay. uh, childhood resiliency. So anti-bullying, um, being able to embrace themselves, all of those different things that they experience as uh, children. But the truth is, as I developed it, as I, you know, even went through, um, you know, becoming a psychologist and all of those different things, it it is so, it's so much bigger, right? Like there's no sect of people or, or no, no fragment of persons that can't use that development, those same tools, because, you know, privileges happen to each category one way or the other, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so um, it came to be because, you know, out of my own trauma, my life, uh, in my second book, which is my memoir, um, Born Out of Pain, talks mm -hmm. about that whole life of, you know, being raised in a, a very strict, and I mean ultimate strict, religious Pentecostal home, and how I didn't fit in, and how how even though um, I can memorize, I had memorized the whole Bible. I mean, I was able to, you know, get yeah. the best of them. And I was a star church child. Right. But it was just it was the the mark of um, and I had never accepted it or, or even acknowledged being, you know, a homosexual, same gender loving or mm -hmm. LGBT, queer, whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah, I did not, yeah. you know, because, of course, we were taught, you know, um, that it was an abomination. You were going to hell. So that was something that limited me and, and gave me great stress and all of that, those things. And so I experienced, you know, going to school, being bullied, you know, um, being thrown downstairs, being wow. being jumped on, um, being on, uh, you know, all those different things where I had teachers that literally for lunch told me to come into their classroom to eat my lunch with them. So it was a protection. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, and then go home to a brother, an older brother who was just trying to toughen me up and, you know, make a man out of me. And then I had a stepfather who tried to sleep the chop treatment to, you know, do that anti-gay, you know, I, and then go to a church where I loved church, but they mm -hmm. hated me, but they loved me because they could use all of my gifts because 
because I was the soloist. I was the director. Mm-hmm. I could play the drums. I could play, you know, I had yeah. all the gifts. I could even prophesy and preach and quote the Bible. And I mm-hmm. lived holy, right? But mm-hmm. it was just that earmark of we still can't let you in because you're on the outside. And that caused, you know, at six years old, an evangelist looked at me and I didn't even know what it was. Mm-hmm. She looked at me and said, oh, you're gay and you're going to hell. I'm six years old. I had never heard the word gay before. So when I went home to my mother and told her, because I'm glad I didn't tell her who said it. I just said, what's gay and why am I going to hell? You know, it started a whole long, where I tried to commit suicide three times. One at, you know, 11, one at 16, and one at, you know, um, 18. Because of just that stress of trying to live something that, I didn't know how. I, no one gave me tools. No one told me to accept me, to like me, you know, any of those things. And so out of that um, mm-hmm. arose, I like me. So it sits on the premise of being able to be um, self-create, which is self-care, self-respect, mm-hmm. self-esteem, self-accept, self-trust, and mm-hmm. self-empowerment. So and it doesn't matter what who you're talking to, those principles still are applicable. Okay, so that was really, really good and deep. I mean, you shared a lot of personal stuff there um, that I could see where that would be traumatic and probably still would cause some issues even in adulthood. So um, how do you work with adults that are in that situation that you come across um, that are just, you know, they haven't been as forward as as you are, as who you are, right? Um, How do you work with them as a leader in leadership thought process? Um, So for me, it all... it comes down to still that self-acceptance, that self-transparency. Mm-hmm. You have to be, when we talk about authenticity, and I believe Brene Brown is a very good person about being, um, having that that ability to allow yourself to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that even in leadership, and it doesn't matter what type of trauma, where the trauma is, or your, because sometimes it's not, it's just that you have flaws that you just think if someone sees them, they'll think you're not worthy to be yeah. in leadership, right? Yeah. You don't know, you, you kind of faked your way or slain, sleep, <laughs> you know, got to where you are and you think imposter syndrome, you know, all those different things. Mm-hmm. It still comes down to being able to accept yourself when you are have enough grace for yourself to know that, hey, I'm not good in these type of situations or I'm dealing with this. Um, Mm -hmm. Right now at my company um, that I work, uh, I'm on an ERG and it's, it's, it causes me to have to push myself beyond where I'm comfortable. And so Mm -hmm. I had to first have a, you know, a, a, a mentor that was able to say, Hey, do what's safe for you, but understand pros and cons of all of it and then make a healthy decision. But it starts with being able to have that self uh, emotional intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to say, hey, this is my trigger. This is Mm -hmm. what happens in these situations. What can I do to mitigate it or to manage it? Or it's something I need not go into. So when you're talking about leadership, it because believe it or not, um, we try and say that we have these different personalities. So you have a home, you, you have a work you, you have a church you, you have an organizational you. No, you are a really wanted person. And Mm -hmm. I don't care how you may move your voice to sound a different type of way, which is code Mm -hmm. switching. 
but yes, you're still yes. the person behind the code switching it, right? Mm-hmm. So the triggers will switch you right back if you're not careful. <laughs> so the first thing you need to do is actually be honest, saying, hey, yeah. this is just what it is. And I either I get help for it, get support for it, staff it if I'm weak in that area, mm-hmm. or I, I, but that sometimes I have to reconcile that with an authentic mindset. Yes. So I love that. Um, and again, I'm going to change gears here just a little bit. So you've had the opportunity to work internationally in Africa. A lot of people haven't had that opportunity. So one, tell me about the experience, like why were you there? But then how is that environment different than the U.S.? So um, it, it came about last year when I, I released um, Born Out of Pain. Mm-hmm. Um my PR was able, was actually able, and it was serendipitous um, because I was looking to get on a TEDx. I wanted to, you know, that was kind of the, the, you know, the yeah. speaker's kind of roadmap that I had for myself. And they happened uh, to to be having in Johannesburg a TEDx session, and I was I was actually the last person they accepted into the program to be able to do it. So, and of course, it was for me it was more than a no brainer. It's like not only do I get to be on TEDx, but I get to say I was in TEDx in South Africa. Like, who's doing that? Like, boo, right? So yeah. when I got there, though, uh, again, when when it's for you or when it's it's, it's your path, it will align its own self. You just have to be available, right? Mm-hmm. So when I got there, I'm there talking about childhood resiliency. We went to um, the school and met with the Ministry of Education, had mm-hmm. great conversation with the children. It was miraculous. It was wonderful. But then I was presented as, you know, this LGBTQ uh, ambassador. It was mm-hmm. an announcement to me too, because I'm like, no, that's not what I signed up for. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about childhood, you know. But uh, in Botswana, um, the they had a new pre- they had just gotten a new president, and they had rescinded the uh, the ban for SGL, you know, for so that the LGBTQ uh, community yeah. could thrive. And so it was actually they were like, oh my God, we could use your assistance, we can use your knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. with all things as a psychologist, as a you know, part of the community already, you know, it, so that's how it happened. What I noticed the difference um, <laughs> is that, number one, they're they're both more forthcoming and underhanded. Mm. And there's a there's a balance of it. OK, um, so they don't mind telling you, you know, uh, no, this is not going to work versus don't call us. We'll call you have to read between those lines in the U.S. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're going to say, yeah, this is not going to work. Um, I hope you have success. Maybe call me back. if you, They'll tell you you're not waiting and you're not yeah. trying to. But at the other, on the other side, there is a lot more bribery, a lot more. Um, yes. And it's, yeah. it's much more acceptable. So mm-hmm. um, there's ways that you have to go about it. And then learning all of the nuances, of course, of their culture. Um, and being from America, they look at you to be advanced. They look at you to come in and. Already, so you have to have a shift that mindset. So you just mentioned something interesting, and again, I'm going to take a little bit of turn off of something that you said that you didn't mention to them that hey, I'm going to be a representative of the LGBTQ plus population, but they automatically assume that, right? So, yes. and and I'm I'm trying to make this a broader conversation right here because a lot of people watching, whether you are a woman whether you are a black man, whether you are whatever it is, a straight white male, like you 
you don't want that attachment to be automatic. You know, when you show up, like I don't, I don't automatically want to be representing all black men when I get up to speak just because I'm a black man, right? Um, white women don't want to get up to, you know, represent all white women when they speak because they happen to be a white woman. So one, how often does that happen to you? But then two, like, how do you segment that part of yourself? Because it is part of you, but into, I'm just a leader and I'm a, uh, you know, uh, a psychologist and I'm a doctor and I'm intelligent and I have experiences beyond, you know, this of who I am, but how often does that happen? And then how do you segment that? So, uh, <laughs> wonderful question, very mm -hmm. timely, um, because uh, it happens more often than not. So mm -hmm. I work in an organization as a change management consultant, senior consultant, and mm -hmm. literally it's a global company. Um, and so I've, I've had to do, you know, um, IT implementations and all those type of things that across span the globe with, mm -hmm. you know, Fortune 500 companies. So we're not talking about just, you know, mom and pop shops. We're talking about real good 10, you know, million dollar, you know, uh, contracts, right? Yeah. Um, so with all of that work, even in my organization, um, when I we had an all hands, I happened to just thumb through all the people that was there because I was bored at what they were talking about. So I just, yeah. you know, and I was the only black male there mm -hmm. and i'm talking about 500 to 600 people yeah that doesn't surprise me it happens to me all the time yeah so it was an aha moment because we we pride ourselves on diversity at, at the organization right right and so and i'm not saying it's not i'm just saying in the the business unit i was in i was mm -hmm. the only one now there were other um black females that was represented but i was the only Black male. Then they told me there was one, but I never saw them there. And yeah. they were in Norway. So I'm not really sure why they were in our account anyway. But be it to say, even in that, um, I joined an ERG, uh, Employment Resource Group, so mm -hmm. um, for Outfront, which is the, the queer community. Mm -hmm. And immediately I got all of these invites to sit on these panels, to sit on these boards, to travel, to represent mm -hmm. What is I would say two percent of who David Glover is. Yeah. Now, yeah. Because yeah. if you think about it, let's just if we think about it. Yeah. If we're gonna go with whether you believe it or not, let's just talk about it, right? Mm -hmm, and yeah. I'm talking to the general populace. Um, if you believe in born this way, mm -hmm. right? I was born black, male, and queer. If we're gonna yeah. make that right, okay. but I went. I worked hard for my education. I decided what career path, and I made a choice of how I showed up. But none mm -hmm. of those things matter except for oh, what man. I had no control over. Yeah, yeah. This so is it, such a good conversation. Yeah, it's, it automatically happens. And yeah. assumptions are always attached with it. So I become the token. So mm -hmm. whenever they had a, um, they just had a, um, of course, Pride Month just happened. And mm -hmm. I mean, every week I was on, asked to be on a board. And it, you had to balance what does that mean? Because right. first of all, right. I, I don't want to be just known as, you know, the ERG resource, when I do, yeah. right, you're paying me for work. You're mm -hmm. paying me good six-figure money for work. Yeah. But I'm yeah. known for what I was born with that no one is paying me. Uh -huh. But you oh, have to good. be able to play the game and balance because at a certain time, that pours back into the value where it may be job security after a while. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's you know, 
you uh, it's, it's a very it's a very I'm learning even in our culture, even on mm-hmm. you know a corporate level, that you have to remember all of those things mm-hmm. and take advantage of all of those things because I can and I had a, a, a conversation with my my people manager this mm-hmm. week. That's why I said it's very timely because I had a conversation about this very thing yeah. this week because I said I need to start having more do more um, uh, sessions that feature other parts of me. Yeah. And 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 the last thing that I did was the intersectionality. So it was about me being black and gay. Yeah. And I've been gay so long in all these sessions that when I saw the flyer, I forgot I was black until I realized, wow. oh, that's why I'm here. Because I'm both gay and black. Wow. Because people will put you mm-hmm. to one set till you forget all of who you are. And as a leader, you have to be able to know that just because you do have a strength or something that mm-hmm. is featured, I am still a holistic person. And in order that I be balanced and not burned out, even in that area that I'm shining right now, mm-hmm. I need to consider how do I how do I, I I balance that? How do I equate that so that you know you may need me for this, but understand you also get this. So I'm gonna add value to all of it. Mm-hmm. Using all of it, if that makes sense, and it, it becomes no, a conundrum. It but it comes at work. It's a, it's. But you're graced for it. If yeah. you do have the capability and you do possess it, that also means you have, and you may need support. You may need a mentor. You may need some development. You may need to go see psychologists mm-hmm. <laughs> just to make sure <laughs> that your mind is is decluttered, that you can still think straight, that you don't lose yourself in that. So I guarantee you this conversation is going to help a lot of people, whether, you know, they're homosexual, identify, whatever it is. I guarantee you this conversation is going to help a lot of people. So I appreciate your transparency. Um, And then I'm going to go into my next topic of conversation for you. And so your books, you know, you, you hinted a little bit about them, but I'm sure people are curious, you know, if you can give us just a little peek into each book, like one, what inspired you to write it? You know, what okay. what's it about? And then what can people get out of that? OK, so the first book, which is the one that you read in the bio, um, is actually it arises out of my scholarly work. It's out of my master's program for industrial organizational psychology. So it's really about how to be a good leader. That's my leadership book. That's the book where it teaches you about emotional intelligence. It teaches you how to build and sustain, maintain a team. It's the book that I actually have a YouTube channel uh, about as well, about Mm -hmm. leadership, all things leadership. So diversity, how to make sure you're being inclusive leader, a transformational leader, serving leader, all those different types of leadership skills, um, how to facilitate uh, you know, and navigate uh, groups, diverse groups, how to work asynchronous, you know, because we're all mm-hmm. still figuring out. We're all kind of fatigued off, off of teams, but we're all still, you know, Zooming and, and teaming in. But how do we keep everybody engaged? How do we make sure that we're maximizing the potential and pouring into our um, uh, subordinates or our leaders or even, you know, leading from behind? Maybe you're not a leader, maybe, mm-hmm. but you can still actually lead from wherever you're seated, right? So being able to aspire all those different things is in that book. So that's that book. Like it, okay. Born Out of Pain, which is my memoir. That book was actually not even written to be a book. It actually, when I moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta, um, I I didn't have any, I was here for school. So I didn't Mm -hmm. have church, I didn't have family, I didn't have any distractions. It opened up a, a wealth of freedom, but with that freedom, 
opened up Pandora's box. So all those things that have been suppressed started mm -hmm. coming up. I started going on walks because I love to walk. So I would walk and I was by a park. So I would walk around the park, come back home, you know, and that would be therapeutic for me. Well, yeah. what happened, a memory was surfaced. And so then I started having panic attacks at night. Mm -hmm. Well, when I, so I didn't have insurance, didn't have money to go, you know, see therapists or anything. But the only thing I did know to do is I can write it out. I can get it out by writing. So mm -hmm. literally, the, the book is very episodic. It's not like at four years old, this, this, at five years yeah. old. So it's not basically like that. So, But it comes in spurts as I had the memory. So all these traumas that came um, and woke me up at night, I went to my computer and I would start typing it. Well, sometimes I would only be able to type three or four words and I would just lose it crying, but I was mm -hmm. releasing it. Well, at the end of probably a year of doing that, because it was a long process, <laughs> um, <laughs> I had the skeleton of a book and it was told to me, I was told years and years ago that I was going to write that book. I cussed them out because I hated writing at that point. You know, I'm like, I do not write. I sing, I act, yeah. I draw, I, you know, I do anything but write. I do not like, I speak, I love to speak. So yeah. if it was words, and back then we didn't have words to, you know, text yeah. where we could do it that way. But so it really came from that, um, those, those blogs, if you will, of just getting it out. And then it narrated its own self. And then, of course, you come and massage it, make sure that it's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, so that's how that book came. And to be honest, the the between the two books, obviously, you would know that the second book means more to me. Right. Because it is it yeah. is yeah. in the book. But what I tell you, Matt, has been the most profound thing, because, of course, I know my life. Right. Mm -hmm. But you never know somebody else reading your life, what they take away from it. Right. Yeah. What yeah. they see what how how resilient they believe you are just from reading your book now mind you i have had very close friends that call themselves my brother and sister right mm -hmm. you know and they were like i had no idea mm -hmm. i could not have imagined so it's like mm -hmm. and actually it answers a lot of questions right so i yeah. had all of that but the most unique thing is when because i believe the book and those who could relate to it the easiest will be those who are like me Right. Mm -hmm. But my like me is my own interpretation of who's like I me. love that. That's why I like the title. That's why I like. The yeah. Title. I literally the, the people that first started reacting and were cis gender female heterosexual women. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, this story does not compute <laughs> with you. Like, so but of course, as a psychologist, it's like. Now, wait a minute. How did this happen? Tell me more. And of course, I use my family because I want to pull out everything. Right. Yeah. I yeah. want to really understand how the hell did this happen? Hopefully that's all right. You bleep it. But how did it happen that <laughs> this means that much to you versus who I know I believe it should mean to? And so after the fourth or fifth one, mm -hmm. I saw the pattern and I saw that this is bigger than you. This is more than you. You thought you were going just for one niche and going for one specific you know, area, but it's bigger because we are more alike than we are different. That is so good and so true. And that's why earlier when you were speaking, I was like, this is going to help a whole lot of people, this conversation. It doesn't matter. Like your story is about struggle, period. And so people can relate to struggle, whatever the struggle is. You know, there could be some, some rich, privileged person growing up 
but, you know, didn't have the love of their parents. And for them, that was a struggle, right? Yeah, you know, we absolutely. don't think they struggle. And I guarantee there's some things in your life or in your book that you talk about that they can relate to. So, again, appreciate your transparency. So one last question before the last question. Okay. So what is your passion? Like if, if someone, well, I am asking you. What is your passion? You know, it could be in life, it could be work, it, you know, um, you know, something you want to accomplish. But what is your passion? My passion is simply empowerment, right? Okay. Um, to bring it a little bit more uh, specific, it would be I, I love to see the underprivileged abound. I love giving you tools. It's which why I was in education first, why I love training first, why I love consulting. Because I want to pull, as even as a psychologist, they tell you that your job is not to give anybody answers. Because we believe on the back, you know, mm -hmm. drop of us, that you are already with the answer. We just need to ask those probing questions that makes it arise, that piques your interest into your own self to get that answer out. So that's empowerment. You know, um, I use I, I, I this happened to me years ago. I've been, as I said before, I was born Pentecostal. So in one of these many, 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 many revivals we had to be in, one of the, the revivals came to me and she laid her hands on me and she said, you are a healer. You are a healer. Now, because of the fact that in my little mind, just, I was mm -hmm. seven or eight years old. In my little mind, a healer is a person that, you know, somebody is sick. You got mm -hmm. cancer, you have diabetes, you have, I'm going to be able to speak to that or pray or whatever that is. And the manifestation of that is that you're made whole. That, you know, you know, the old school church talked about how they came in yeah. on crutches and walked yeah. back out. Yeah. Or yeah. cancer dried up or tumors, they went to the bathroom and passed, you know, tumors and yeah. stuff like that. So when that stuff was not happening, I couldn't understand what did she mean by healer? But mm -hmm. all along, because my frame was wrong, mm -hmm. I was a mental healer. I was one that was able to come in and nurture and heal you from traumatic oppression that sometimes you inflicted on yourself or allowed that infliction. Yeah, affliction, yeah. Right? So I think for me, it's the empowerment. It's the dismantling of your self-deprivation and empowering you to be the best you whether that's in at work, which is what I still do as consulting, right? Mm -hmm. Or whether I do it in I Like Me, which is obviously kind of apparent, or whether I'm doing it in leadership training. Okay. All right. Empowerment as a passion. And I have that as a passion as well, but it's a little bit different than what you explained, but I won't get into it now. Um, you know, we'll talk later. But now I got to go into my staple question question I ask all the good people that come on to the My Great Aunt Edna Leadership Podcast. And the question is, Dr. David Glover, what one or two things just pisses you off as a leader in today's environment that you wish you could change? The first thing, and I guess it kind of is, it blends right all, over, is inauthenticity. Why mm -hmm. are you here? <laughs> And you're not going to give me the real you, you yeah. know, the cookie cutter. You won't you you have no even if even so now. Ooh, Trump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As I'm, I'm not a supporter. I am not a fan. But yeah. what I do respect is his authenticity. He is going mm -hmm. to tell you what he has to say. Mm 
Yes. And whether you like it, don't like it, stand there, take it, leave, do what you need to do. But this is what it is. I mm-hmm. can respect you when I know you. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're shifty, you don't know what you're. And we all have ebbs and flows. I get it. I yeah, get it. And yeah, sometimes yeah. we got to play a game and sometimes we got to play a role. I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about someone who is jelly back, as they used to call it. Right. Mm-hmm. You you just you don't you don't have any you can't do nothing. You can't stand up for nothing. Like, no, I don't get it. that probably is one and two. I don't know how mm-hmm. we split them, but that could be one and two. Um, I can leave it there. That's it? Okay. Unauthenticity. You know, fake people, the people that are playing the game don't show you the real face. uh, Just pisses you off. And I can can relate to that because there are a lot of people that do that. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll just leave it at that as well because I can (laughs) say a lot. I can say a lot, but I'll stop right there. All right. So before we go today, um, if you could tell us how we can get your books, and then how can people get in contact with you, whether they need some of your counseling, um, they want you as a speaker, um, a representative, you know, uh, how, how do we get in touch with you? Absolutely. And thank you for the opportunity. Uh, simply all of that you can find on my website, which is drdavidnglover.com. Again, that's drdavidnglover.com. No periods, nothing fancy, just all the way through drdavidnglover.com. Got it. That's easy enough. All right. So everyone out there, drdavidnglover.com, go check it out. We're also going to put the information up on the screen for those of you who are watching via our YouTube uh, channel as well. And so, Dr. Glover, I want to thank you for joining the show today. This has been a great conversation. Um, As I mentioned, you know, before we actually started rolling, I love people that are authentic on the show, and that's what I'm looking for. You know, just tell me the real deal. You did exactly that. Um, I was intrigued by the conversation, and so I'm sure there'll be others out there. You guys make sure you reach out to them. And for the viewers out there, if you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Um, We have audio podcasts on all the major podcasts out there and YouTube as well. And so with that, I say thank you. May your week be excellent, and God bless. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of My Great Aunt Edna, featuring Dr. David N. Glover. He's a best-selling author and motivational speaker, and his information is up on the screen right now. You can reach him at www.drdavidnglover.net. And also, I'd like to remind you that my book is available called My Great Aunt Edna, The Golden Girl of Leadership, available wherever books are sold. And like and subscribe to this channel so that you can hear from other great leaders from all over the world to help you in your own leadership journey. And with that, I say thank you. May your week be excellent and God bless.